and welcome to The Training Show, the show for learning professionals everywhere. I'm Elaine Giles. And I'm Mike Thomas. And we're back for our fourth show dedicated to all things training. We've had some great feedback from our last episode, It Shouldn't Happen to a Trainer. Yes, we heard from Carl, who was very impressed with your handling of the situation and didn't even know it was possible to actually demo an iPad in a webinar. Oh, it is, and much, much more. I think the most I've ever demoed was, was it three iPads and two iPhones? Something like that. It got messy, but yes, it's possible. We, we should do a show on how that's possible, shouldn't we? Yeah. We also heard from Claire, who thought you were very brave to put that video up on YouTube and wouldn't have even known there was a problem if you'd not said... I knew I shouldn't have said anything, but thank you both for your very kind words and for taking the time to share it with us. But on to the main topic of the show, just do it. We're taking a look at task management for trainers. And the question that we're looking at is, can trainers use standard accepted practices for task management or is the job too specialised? Good question. It is indeed, isn't it? So I decided we'd take a look at how we've reached where we are in terms of task management. My earliest recollection of managing tasks was not long after I left school and I had a black file of facts. What can I say? Shame, I know, but it was the late 80s. And it worked. It did. It really worked. But of course, as I moved on through my career and I had a computer on my desk, I was drawn to the technology side. It's always a bad idea, really, isn't it? Certainly was back then. There were some options. This is going to be a blast from the past for you. Starfish Sidekick. I remember that. It was a really good app. It was. It it was for Windows 3.1 from memory. So (laughs) a little bit clunky. But interface wise, it looked like a Filofax. But you could switch between week view and month view and day view. But other than that, it worked pretty much as a filofax and it was very very good and um, the grown-up version of that was then lotus organizer don't know if you ever used that i i had lotus organized and i thought it was a great idea that it actually looked very much like a filofax but i do know customers that had it as well i i tried to use it i must admit i think again from memory it was a long time ago i think i probably used sidekick more i did think sidekick really had something good or organizer was very good like you say zero learning because it was an electronic filofax i think the problem with both of them was sort of lack of general support and of course the other problem was that your tasks were then tethered to your physical computer on a desk and you couldn't really take them with you very easily and then of course outlook came out in the late 90s and that was sort of that that virtually took over as far as I was concerned it became really a de facto standard although I didn't have a great experience with it I don't know what your early experience was like I shall talk about my experiences without look shortly (laughs) when you've recovered sufficiently you mean so to go mobile I decided a good idea was a cyan organizer remember those yeah um it wasn't bad Uh, to be honest though looking back if I'm honest, it was more of a gimmick than anything else, because synchronising anything back in, in those days was horrific. So you pretty much spent more time fighting with the tech than actually using it to organise yourself, sadly. So that was the point I decided to um, go back to basics. And if the Filofax had worked, what I needed was a bigger, better, shinier Filofax. And that was what I got, a Franklin Planner. 
to be honest, it didn't work as well as my original little Filofax. I think it could possibly have been too big. I went for a desk model and I think, yes, it worked, but it, it was it got very heavy. You know, if you wanted to put everything in it and, and reference materials, it was just a little bit too much. But proves the point, really, doesn't it? That even though we work in tech and always have done, maybe tech isn't the answer. Yeah, I I can concur with that. I think really for me that the key is, well, it was not so much task management, although we'll talk more about this shortly, but uh, calendar management, because being a trainer, I needed to know what courses I was running and where I was every day. So for me, uh, certainly in the early days uh, for one of the companies that, that I worked for, uh, we had our uh, schedules up on a big whiteboard and the schedulers would uh, keep them up to date. And I would sit there every day making any changes and writing it all down in a, a paper diary. And then when we actually got Outlook, what I used to do was actually print off my Outlook calendar along with the tasks um, I think you could have five days and the wasn't the task view down the right hand side or something I think there was in the very early versions yeah and then I uh, hole punched those and carried it a big lever arch file around with me that's marginally more embarrassing than the Franklin planner <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah I did progress actually onto to tech I had a sharp organizer and then I moved on to the Cly which you had one as well, Oh, I had one of those, yes. That was probably the best electronic thing I had. Even now, looking back at it, uh, was it about 2003, 2004? I think it was. It looked like an iPhone. I think it was later than that. Yeah, actually, it probably was because I, I, I had it at my current job. And I remember trying to sync it with, with um, Exchange. Very, very convoluted. You could do it. USB cable and some software and some convoluted methods and um, making sure the wind was in the right direction. But um, you could do it. It was just horrible. That's the thing with it. Hardware-wise, it, it was from Sony and it, it was very, very good. The build quality was great. The capabilities were great. Like I've said, pretty much an iPhone, it had a huge screen like an iPhone. Difference was it was a little bit thicker than that and it had a fold-over cover on the front. But the fold-over cover was sort of plastic, very strong plastic, and you could see through it. So apart from the fact that it did have a stylus, so you didn't use it with your finger, you used a stylus, I would say it was very iPhone-ish, mm. the interface, the lot. And yes, the problem with it was the services and the syncing. The actual device itself was fantastic. I think it was actually way ahead of its time. It's surprising to think what Sony had, and they've sort of really fallen by the wayside now, and iPhones and Android phones are sort of the de facto standard. Yeah, and I've gone back to Outlook now as well. I can honestly say I haven't, but for good reasons. <laughs> Yes, my system's always evolving. And uh, the biggest change for me was when I moved to a Mac in 2006. And that was why Outlook no longer available for me. There wasn't a version of Outlook for the Mac back then. Because of that, to be honest, my task management stayed on the PC for about 16 months after I got a Mac. But I was never 100% sold on Outlook for task management because of the structure of the way it stored its data. Nothing to do with the capabilities of the software, which if they'd have worked... Well, actually, no, they, they did work. If they were supported by the file structure, it would have been great. The problem I had with it was that it corrupted very often. Um, the way Outlook stores its data is in something called a PST. 
and mine used to get corrupted on a regular basis, so I don't know how you go on with that. Uh, we don't use PSTs anymore, but I do know a lot of people who did lose their work. That was the problem for me. I, I never felt... It wasn't trusted. I, I couldn't really trust it. So that was my major problem with it. I think that was about the time I started sort of managing it... Um, very analogue, so going back to paper. But then I found the holy grail for me, which was um, a, an application called OmniFocus, uh, which was in beta at the time. So this is around 2007. And now, of course, mobile's more important. So you need to be thinking about mobile as well. So before we talk about what we actually use, I thought we'd uh, move on and take a look at the specific problems of a learning professional. Now, there's probably a lot more, but these are the ones that I came up with. Um, the majority of your day as a learning professional is not self-determined. So like you've just mentioned, that you had schedulers scheduling your time for you. So once they've done that and you're on a course, you pretty much lose control of your day, I think. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, second one, non-training tasks really have to be fitted in around the training. So your phone calls, your administration, etc. That I found particularly problematic when I had sort of a heavy training schedule for a few weeks. I did because no matter what you think about getting yourself organised and you will fit it in, other things take over. So non-training tasks being fitted in, bit of a problem. Third one, um, your hours of work, that you pretty much have to work the hours of your training course. So not very flexible hours of work. If other times would be better for you, you can't really do that. Uh, four, you are at the mercy of the scheduler. So you may be training on a course somewhere and you may find that you've earmarked Friday afternoon to catch up. And before you know it, your scheduler has scheduled you something on Friday. Fifth one, location. You may find that you are in a training room. That will dictate what facilities you have available. You may be on site or off your site. Uh, and again, that can impact what you can actually do. So I put that down as a sixth one, the facilities that you have, the environment and the equipment. Uh, for me, that translates to I pretty much have I can work mobile, but there are things that I can't do when I'm mobile. Uh, because of the type of equipment I have with me. So uh, that, that was number six. Number seven, uh, course cancellations can change your day without notice. So I think the latest a course has been cancelled on me was probably like 10 minutes after it was due to start. I've had course cancellations. I've also had course abandonments. Yes, I've had a couple of those. Um, but the way that I work, uh, being sort of more freelance than that, as I've discussed previously, you know, it was my choice to cancel that. You could have carried on with other delegates, but it's not ideal. So, so yes, absolutely. Uh, course, course is getting abandoned. Um, and number eight, covering for colleagues, pretty much at very short notice. So if a colleague's running a course and they're unable to do it, then you could be drafted in and your day has just changed. So those were the eight that I came up with. What do you think of those? Ah, uh, yeah, those, I didn't think of any more in particular, any, any other uh, problems. You fitted everything into those broad categories, did you? I have, yes. I, I totally agree with what you've come up with. For me, I find that it's, it's difficult to make uh, phone calls uh, when your delegates are in the room at break. So if you're trying to fit in your, your task management, if you're trying to do your non-training tasks during your lunchtime, or during your breaks, or before delegates come in 
Um, you know, I might be in work early. I like to, to start early. It suits me. Um, gives me more time to um, to do my non-training stuff before a course. Um, although you do end up end up working longer hours if you're training in the afternoon because you're going to then have to set up courses straight after the training. But if you're trying to do your admin tasks or your phone calls or whatever you whatever it is you, you need to do that's not your core training then you've got people coming in the room they want to talk to you you've got maybe the phone call phone phones going um you, you've got you you don't get a chance to go and get a cup of coffee the other thing is you know you you can't make your phone calls in the training room but you also can't do your email in the training room uh, unless you turn off the projector. Now, I know some projectors have got, um, they call it a no-show button, which actually it's... it's. I it, never trust that. I put a book in front of it. Yeah, I was, I you was going to say... can't fail with a book. I was, well, you can fail with a book. It's <laughs> happened to me. The book falls over or something like that. Um, Operator error. Yeah, but yes, you know, I've, I've used projectors where... Okay, 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 think about this one. The majority of projectors I use now are actually ceiling mounted. And I, I dare you to, not dare, I... I <laughs> you challenge me challenged. to climb on a chair and exactly. hold a book in front of it. Yes, it's not mm, going to happen, No, maybe it? not, maybe not. Then you have to trust it or you have to unplug it. Yes. And I think whether you can do that or not effectively depends on the equipment that you're using and how familiar you are with it. Mm-hmm. But yes, there are there are definitely challenges to be faced um, as a trainer delivering training three, four, five days a week and trying to do your other tasks around it. Um, you, you raised some very interesting points there. Um, you're, you're talking about the majority of your training, you being an in-house trainer, is on a site with which you are familiar. So really, it's on home territory for you. Yes. I'm quite surprised then that, that you find it as awkward as you seem to, to, to do the other jobs. Um, I tend to be going to other people's venues. And when you do that, you really are at the mercy of the facilities that they have. Now, obviously, these days you can do your phone calls with a mobile phone. But I'm very mindful that I am in, in somebody else's premises and although that shouldn't maybe make a difference, it does to you. You feel like a guest. You also feel that they've paid for your time for that day and they seem to expect your full undivided attention. And returning phone calls and doing admin, I don't think uh, sets the right tone. Agreed. So even though you may think, oh, you're more mithered at work because of where you are people know where you are so they can contact you if they have a question whereas when i'm out of the office i'm out of the office the office can contact me in an emergency but i'm not going to be sitting there with emails coming in and you know generally being driven by urgent that's not going to happen um, but it is very awkward to do things like that i have i mean they they don't sort of sit there and, and watch what you do so i have vacated the premises maybe for 20 minutes and gone and worked in the car but i certainly don't feel too comfortable doing that on somebody else's premises i i don't think it sets the right tone at all so just because you're an external trainer rather than on your home ground doesn't actually make that any easier you think it would but no it doesn't um in terms of my day being self-determined, probably more. You probably think my day is self-determined, don't you? I do, because I'm not an in-house trainer. 
I, I could say maybe it is, but if it is, um, I determine it months in hand. So once I've booked a training course, then that's what's going to happen that day. And I, I, I have no wiggle room unless the course gets cancelled. Then that's what I'm doing. So I suppose it is self-determined, but it's determined by my scheduling two, three, four months in hand. Yes, I have the problem of fitting in non-training tasks and then it becomes a case of how many training days versus how many admin days, which I know is something that you've struggled with over the years with your employer or scheduler accepting the balance that you feel is right. Yes, I think at the end, at the end of the day, because I'm a, the equivalent of a fee earner, I guess, um, I need to be productive in their eyes um, all the time. So the the amount of non-training days tends to be squeezed out and uh, and consequently you've got less time to, to do your admin. I think the only time that you can sort of virtually guarantee admin is when you are running longer courses where if it's a three, four or five day course, uh, you can you'll probably finish early on the fifth day, which gives you a little bit of room in the afternoon. And a three day course or a four day course means that there is an odd one or two days in the week. So unless they manage to squeeze a two day course in or another one day course, you may have a day free. But I know that that training versus non-training ratio is something that a lot of companies keep a very tight rein on. Understandable, because as you say, when you're not training, you're an expense to the business and they don't tend to see either personal development or admin as important that's certainly my experience i don't know if it's yours yeah definitely and the thing is if if you aren't training then you are expected to be doing prep work rather than you know doing admin but admin is just as important as as um Maybe we should clarify what we mean by training admin. I mean things like um, preparing for the next course by looking at the um, pre-course questionnaires, preparing certificates for previous courses, filing any paperwork for previous courses. I mean, like you say, it all needs to be done. Yeah, answering um, answering customer queries. Yes, that as well. Um, filling in timesheets. I can honestly say I don't trouble myself with that, but I'm just in a fortunate position that I'm my own boss. Doing expense claims. Um, finance, the bane of my life. <laughs> yes, I'll take that one then. OK, then I'll run with that one. In relation to being at the mercy of the scheduler, as I, again, uh, ahead of time, my schedule sorted out ahead of time. In relation to location and facilities, I've worked out about 90% of my training deliveries are virtual now. But I still have a need to be able to deliver mobile if I need to. And I've worked a system where I can. So I still need to be fairly flexible. But in terms of facilities, the environment and equipment, you really do have to think about that. Um, I know you do a lot of virtual training, but you, you do it from the same venue, don't you? You're still at work. Yes. So not, not quite as flexible as I would need to be then. I would uh, take a guess at. I think you're right on that, yeah. Um, I think when you come to cope with course cancellations, which can happen at any point, I think it's a matter of having some alternative work available without having to think about it. I think there's a chance that if a course gets cancelled, and obviously the later that happens, the more this will be true, that you will spend half the day thinking what you should do. 
the rest of the day playing on Facebook. <laughs> yes, that seems to be how it goes in most companies I visit. But yes, I, I like to have um, alternatives available. Now, that, that comes down to how I manage my tasks. But yes, I think you need to be prepared uh, for changes because the, it can happen. We, we've just said, you know, you, you've, you've had that probably happened more than I have. Um, I think my clients tend to feel they've paid for it, so they're going to provide me with some delegates. But yes, it, it has happened to me as well, and I don't like to waste time. I'm prepared to be flexible, but I, I wouldn't want to waste time because I know that I'll have to do that course on another day, and that subsequent day when I'm delivering it, I may have had planned to do something else. So um, there's that aspect of it. Luckily, I don't have to do much in the way of covering for colleagues, although I have delivered courses with maybe only half an hour's notice the evening before where um, they've lost a trainer and they're looking for a replacement and they need somebody very quickly. So there's that aspect to it. But I am luckily in a position where I can decide, yes, I will do it or no, I won't. And I appreciate that you're not in that position, are you? No. And again, it's like you say, it comes down to task management where you, you're just going to have to put whatever tasks you had scheduled for that day on hold, deliver the training and the, the, the tasks will have to wait. Um, the other things that I thought about in terms of managing yourself, your training, your time and your tasks were how important Skype's become to me. I don't actually have a physical landline plugged in. I find incoming calls nothing but a nuisance. <laughs> and I know I've talked to people about this before and people think I'm mad, but I, I do. Um, email is far better as far as I'm concerned because I think there's nothing more intrusive than a ringing phone. So Skype's important for me because all my calls are outgoing calls. I do talk to people on the phone, but they're all outgoing calls. And Skype means that I can do that from my desk or any other mobile device that I have. And also mobile phones have had a big impact on that. I've also noticed when I looked at my time management, when we were talking about this in Rediment for the show, I brought my calendar up and I usually have my calendar calendar in month view. And I think last week I surpassed myself. I had nine webinars in one day. And there's lots of dots on my calendar for that because in month view it's very tiny. And for reasons best known to us as we were looking at it, I switched to week view and I noticed my time zone's very skewed, isn't it? It is. It's well, it's the way you work. It is. What I mean by skewed is when I go into week view, I can see sort of my five working days and I noticed that there were no appointments. There was nothing before 12 o'clock. Nothing. So 12 o'clock UK time, there was nothing. And that's because I tend to work late. I have webinars that I deliver and or attend that tend to be on American time. So pretty much I'm working, I'd say, East Coast time, but somewhere between East Coast time and West Coast time. So it's not unusual for me to be working till 10 o'clock at night, but I don't get started that early. So that was something that I noticed, uh, all to do with online virtual training, which I absolutely adore. So I have no problem with that. It was just very interesting to notice that. Anyway, having discussed where we are now, let's have a look at what we can all do about it as trainers. And I'd say step one, admit you probably could be doing better. So admit there's a problem. And then step two, find a way to handle it. And I know that you're familiar with uh, the system that I prefer. So I thought I'd have a little bit of a talk about that. I find this is the most popular methodology. Often when I go into companies, I will find 
many copies of this book sat there. So one of the most popular methodologies is GTD by David Allen, which it's a philosophy expounded by him in what's fast become his seminal work, Getting Things Done, hence GTD. The phrase I use for it is that it's specific enough to be trademarkable, but generic enough to be common sense. Um, I guess you would call it the ultimate task management system for the modern professional. And the reason behind that, why I would say that, is because it's not a product. It isn't buy my product and you will be. You know, there is no product. There is a book that talks about a method, but there isn't a, so much a product. He doesn't say you must use this system. You must use this particular diary. So it's not a product. It's not prescriptive either. It's very, very flexible because it's based on principles. So throughout the book, he talks about principles. And because it's principle-based, it's incredibly flexible. Uh, and the flexibility means, I think, it's perfect for trainers. So the overall process goes like this. Um, he actually has a diagram in the book, and this, this diagram in the book is repeated many, many times. And what it is, the idea is that you would sort of photocopy this and you'd stick it over your desk. And then every item that you think about doing, you put it through this process. Now, that might sound long winded, but you become much, much faster with it. And it is a very good guide. So the first step is that you collect everything together. So you've probably got notes and to-do items and all sorts in notebooks, scraps of paper, letters, email, voicemail. And you've probably also got a lot of items that you're thinking about doing or you think you should be thinking about doing in your head. So you process all of that. You collect everything together. And... I think in the book, he actually says, you know, you could sort of sit there in a room with it all for two or three days. You literally just put it all together, get a massive box and put the whole lot together. So anywhere or anything else that you've been squirreling ideas in, take them all out and put them in a huge pile. And then the next step is to process every single item, which sounds terrifying. And of course it is, depending on how many items you've got. But the feeling of control when you've done it it's worth it. So how you process it, you pick up one item and you look at that item and you say, what is this? And it could be a note that you need to phone somebody or it could be that you need to write something. But whatever it is, you work out what it is. You define what it is. And then you ask a question. Is it actionable? Is it something that you can do something about? And obviously the examples I've just given, yes, it is. You know, It's a task. It's a job. It's something that needs to be done. But first of all, if it isn't, uh, so if it's sort of, if it's a bill and it's paid, then it's not actionable. So it then falls into one of three categories. So you follow through this chart and the first thing is trash it. So if it's something that you've dealt with, you don't need to keep it for reference and throw it away. If it's something you've dealt with, but you, you would like to keep it for reference, then put it in your reference materials. So however you look after your reference materials, put it in there. And the only other option that you have with something that isn't actionable is that it isn't actionable today, but maybe one day you would like to do something about it. So the best example I can think of for that is sort of you've got a flyer on your desk that, that's landed there um, and somebody's offering French lessons. You can learn to speak French in only six months and you'd like to do that. 
but you can't do it right now. So you don't want to trash it. And if you put it in your reference materials, you'll probably never look at it again because you would have to remember that it was there to go and look for it. So your third option is to add it to your someday maybe list. So someday maybe you'd like to action the fact that you would like to learn to speak French. So that's all you can really do with something that isn't actually actionable. And I think I think that's really powerful. It kind of frees you up that to, to, to actually look at something and say, actually, there isn't anything I want to do with this right now. But you can still process it and get it off your horizon. It isn't going to be sat on your desk. It isn't going to be sat in your notebook. And most importantly, it's not going to be in your head either. Now, if the answer to is it actionable was yes, then he takes you off down a completely different path on this processing diagram of his. Um, he gets you to ask yourself, what is the next action? So if we take the example of that phone call, you then have to ask yourself, can you do it in less than two minutes? And if you can, then just do it. Now, I've noticed that some people who have adopted this methodology have changed two minutes to five minutes. I'm not sure how wise that is, because actually, although you think two minutes, I can't get anything done in two minutes. Two minutes. It's amazing what you can do. I think you could probably just about pay a bill online in two minutes. I don't think it would take you five. So you could possibly change the two minutes to three, four or five. But I tend to leave it at two. Do you sort of leave yours at two? I leave it at two. Yeah, I've, I've never come across anyone saying for the five minute rule I just think the five minute rule is just a little bit too much I think if you find as you're processing that you you stop and you do four items and each one takes less than two minutes it's probably going to take somewhere between four to eight minutes but if those four items took you 20 minutes I think you'd lose the momentum to carry on it then becomes a hard slog you've only dealt with four things and the pile's still huge and you start panicking so I think it's worth, if it's more than two minutes, leaving it. Uh, and I'll talk about what you do with it if it's more than two minutes. But the next thing is, if you, as you look at it, right, it's going to take more than two minutes. You don't want to do it. Then delegate it. So look at it and think, actually, you know, Fred could do this far better than me or I need I need some information from somebody else. So delegate that task. Now, the trick then is to mark it as waiting in your system. Because if you don't, you it, it would be so easy to lose track of it. And I've done that myself when I've passed something along and then I don't hear anything. And then it doesn't come back to my mind until it's on fire and then it does need dealing with. So the trick, if you're going to delegate it, is to mark it as waiting in your system. The third thing that you can do with it is defer it, which means it's going to take longer than two minutes. So you're not actually going to do it right now. And in deferring it, you put it in just one of two places. One would be your calendar. And the other alternative is your next actions list, which is pretty much a to do list. Uh, if it goes on your calendar and I love this bit, it only goes on your calendar if it's a hard landscape item. And this is a term that David Allen uses to refer to things that must happen at a specific point. So take a dental appointment. It's got to happen on Tuesday at half past three. So it goes on your calendar. 
it, there's no point having it appear magically on a, on a, on a to-do list at nine o'clock in the morning because by 3.30 you've totally forgotten. So it goes on your calendar, must happen at that point. But he really stresses that those are the only kind of items that go on your calendar. So for trainers, your training courses have to go on your calendar. And that makes perfect sense. My calendar is... Oh, absolutely packed with webinars and short sessions or full day courses. And I'm sure yours looks the same. Definitely. So those are hard landscape items. And what I used to struggle with was things that could happen on a certain day. And if I had a preference, they would happen on that day. But actually, the world isn't going to stop turning if they don't. And I was always in two minds where to put them. And I think David Allen's sort of strict rule of hard landscape that goes on your calendar and that's it. Made it much easier for me to just put those on my next actions list. So as I've said, your next actions list is your to-do list. And that's because when you're processing these things, you ask yourself the question, what is the next action, the very next action? And uh, he goes into a lot of detail about when you're processing all your information uh, at the point you're creating this system that um, you will find things that are not actually actionable, that you'll look at it and it, it's not a task that you can actually do. Um, I forget the, exam the, the, the exact example he gives, but if I give a training example, it would probably be clearer. New version of Office coming out. Get up to speed with new version of Office. Get up to speed with new legislation. That's not actually a doable task. It's a project. What legislation? Where are you going to get a copy from? How long is it going to take? Do you need any supplemental materials? Actually, that is a project. And he would ask you to break that down. He would recommend that you break it down into individual tasks. You don't do projects, you do individual tasks. And I think that's also a good idea. It really focuses your mind on what individual components belong to completing a job. So when I'm learning something new, that's exactly what I do with it. I don't know if you do that. You're going to say no, aren't you? I'm going to say I don't actually think about deliberately breaking it down like that. Mm, I find it helps because then I, I know that, you know, I'm going to have to learn that by X date. And I know that the project's there and I know that I have... Uh, David Allen calls them buckets, but whatever you call them, I have a sort of location that I can put information in. So as I'm surfing or as I'm on Twitter or Facebook, I might find a link and think, oh, that's really relevant to that. That's a really interesting piece that I've just read. And I'd like to refer to that when I'm prepping this course. So I've got somewhere to put it. I can put it in my system and it belongs to that particular project. Otherwise, I start writing post-it notes to myself. And then I lose them and then I get annoyed with myself that, I, you know, I, that was a really important piece of information and I've lost it. So I do take the time and do that. Um, I, I think that really is a benefit. Uh, once you've done that, you've got all your individual tasks and they're grouped via projects. And then you assign contexts to your tasks. So it could be a time, it could be a location, it could be equipment, it could even be the mental capacity you have. So sometimes you, you just 
you can't do anything stressful. It's Friday afternoon and you just don't have the capacity for it. So maybe that's a good time to do some sort of mindless admin. So um, that's what the contacts are. And then when you've done all that, you then do. You start doing the individual tasks, marking them off as complete and thus completing projects. Uh, the most essential concept, I think, to get that I've got from GTD is what's called the weekly review. And the weekly review is where you connect with everything in your system. So on a weekly basis, you go through your entire system and reconnect with it. That's the best way I can explain it. You reconnect with it. And as you do that, you will sort of add extra items or delete items and just generally work with the system. That, in a nutshell, is the basis of creating a trusted system. And that's it. That word trusted system, it is essential to trust the system. Um, even if there's one thing that isn't in the system, you will know that. And how will you know that? Because it's in your head and it's on your mind when it's not appropriate to be. And the example that I, I've given you this example, haven't I? Buying milk. You know you need to buy milk and you're, you're about to leave the house and you think, yes, I must stop and I must buy milk. And the minute you get in the car, you've completely forgotten. And when you're at work and you're in the middle of training, you suddenly realise, oh, I needed to buy milk. That's your brain saying, oh, by the way, ha, you needed to buy the milk and you've forgotten because that's just how your brain works. And the trouble with that is if you lose faith and trust in the system, then the whole system won't work. But notice everything that I've talked about there. It is not prescriptive. It doesn't mention any tools. It doesn't mention any, any anything at all. It's just all principle. And to be honest, I think it's very sound principle. And I'm not surprised that it is the most popular methodology online. I think I did a search for it and there was millions of results came back. It seems everybody is GTDing. So what do you use then? I use OmniFocus, which is an application from the Omni Group. Um, it's a Mac application. It started life as a Mac application, but it has now morphed into a collection of applications. And there are applications for the iPhone and the iPad as well. Obviously, the minute you start working across platform, the next critical thing is, does it synchronize? And it does. There is a free sync service from Omni Group. So once you've bought one of these applications, you can sign up for a free sync service account and synchronize it. And even if you're only using it on your iPhone or your iPad or your Mac, it's worthwhile having a synchronization account because it, it's back up for you. It backs it up to the cloud automatically. Once you've got your account, it's completely seamless. When I started, um, it was in alpha. It wasn't even in a beta. And um, oh, it was hard going. I also had the problem that it's the way GTD works, it takes things away from you until you can do them, which is fantastic. But you then start panicking that it's lost that you've lost something in the system. So it took me quite a while to feel really, really comfortable with it. And I think everybody who's tried GTD will probably tell you the same. There's a term black belt GTD, which means you, you're sort of at the peak level and you are just on cruise control, which would be lovely. But most of the time, you know, every now and then you'll think, Do you know what, I need to go right back to basics and start again. So I use OmniFocus, highly recommend it. It's just a shame there isn't a Windows version, which would sort of complete the picture or an online version. But as yet, there isn't. So where do you start? I start by going through the process. Um, 
I wouldn't say that that process that I've just gone through is something that you only do once. I think in an ideal world, you might only do it once at the beginning when you set it up. But to be perfectly honest, you know that you're going to slip. You go on holiday and things stack up. So I start by making a list of tasks and literally just put everything together and go through them and just add them to the system. So my system has an inbox, you know, a virtual inbox, and I just put enough information in the title of one of the items in there to prompt me as to what it actually is. Um, another concept that David Allen has is horizons of focus. And what he means is the overview versus the detail. And we've all been there. You're sat there at your desk and you thinking, right, I'm going to sort out all of this stuff. And you get to item number 10 and you think, oh, yes, I was going to research X. And you drop everything and you go and research X. You've just shifted your horizon from looking at the overview of everything and scheduling and planning into going down into the detail of it. And at that point, you're going to leave something unfinished at the end of the day. So... I try to focus at a very high level and try and get everything in the system and then sort it out. So my single tasks, which are individual uh, jobs I have to do, that are they don't warrant being a project of their own. They are just, you know, pay credit card bill. I put that in a special project called single tasks. And then I have a collection of projects. So I probably have a project for every event that I do, every training course is an individual project for me because most of mine are customised. Now, I know yours aren't, are they? I can't see you having a project for each course that you do. No, each course is it's a task, basically. Because the, the, the course is already configured and set up and, and that's it, a lot of mine are customised. So I need jobs like making specific data and liaising with people because they're very, very highly customised. So I have projects for each course, which are a collection of next actions. And then I assign context to them. But I think the power of my system is um, a view that I have. In terms of what OmniFocus looks like, it looks very different on the iPhone and iPad, but on the Mac, it looks a little bit like Excel. It's a grid of information. So each task has a title and a due date and a start date and a duration. But to look at, it looks like a grid based thing like Excel. So the first thing that I did was create what I call my magic to do list. <laughs> I know it sounds fabulous, doesn't it? What a magic to do list is. I only want to see things on my to do list that I can actually do. And some things I can't do. So I'm going to work out for the next month what I need to do. And it's the first of the month. And I know that my credit card bill will be coming in on the 10th of the month. I don't want to pay my credit card bill on my to-do list for the next 10 days when I can't do a thing about it. So what I use is instead of due dates, everybody knows what a due date is, but OmniFocus lets me assign a start date to tasks. So that start date I would put in as the 10th. And what would happen is my to-do list... The task would be there, and as I press this button and it tidies up the list, anything I can't do, it takes out of my view. And that's where the trust comes into it. You have to trust that that will appear when it's needed. And it does. What happens on the 10th is, at 8 o'clock in the morning, the system checks itself, sees what's due that day, and adds it to the to-do list, which is why I call it a magic to-do list. And then every day, 
my first port of call is to open that view, my magic to-do list, and let it guide me through the day. On a weekly basis, I do do the weekly review. And as I've said, that allows me to connect with everything that I have to do and triage. I might decide to actually demote some stuff that's actually active to being inactive. I may even decide that I don't need to do that anymore. You know, something has happened and overtaken something. So maybe I'm writing a guide to the iPhone 4S and the iPhone 5 comes out. So forget it. So I just delete it and change, you know, add a different one, which is, you know, create materials for iPhone 5. So some may even get deleted. As I go through my someday maybe list, I may decide that now is the time that I'm going to learn to speak French and I may well promote something from my someday maybe list to my active list and then it becomes a project and I start to work on it. And that system works pretty well for me. Yeah, I think my main problem is with contexts. Um, you know, you can, like you say, you can use anything. I've used Outlook. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that shortly. Uh, but theoretically, you can use anything. It's it's when you look at the theory and this idea of contexts is where I I get stuck. And I think it's going back to, to reading GTD, the book, where he talks about things like the phone call context or the computer context. And I was thinking, well, you know, if I'm not training, then I'm sat at a desk um, and I have my computer and I have my email and I have my phone and I can't separate things into those kind of contexts. Also, you know, it, it doesn't have the concept of scheduling. And, and for me, I want reminders. I want to be reminded of, of something. Now, that's where we totally differ. I agree with everything you say. You're quite right. It doesn't really have the concept of scheduling in terms of a specific time. My magic to-do list, it works by days. So something will appear as if by magic in the morning. But it doesn't particularly, you know, I don't get a rousing chorus of the 1812 overture and it keeps going until I stop it to remind me to do it. It would be very subtle. I, I may get a reminder on my phone, but it won't be a reminder per se. It will just be a message that floats gently past that says this task is now available. But there is no compunction to say, and I'm going to sit here until you do it. So, no, I agree with that. It doesn't really have a concept of scheduling. Um, and likewise, reminders. You could set up something, but pretty much it's not. It, it's a very gentle reminder rather than the kind of reminder that you're talking about. And it's because um, Stephen Covey, who's another one of these um, self-help gurus, aren't they, really? Productivity, Productivity gurus. Yes. He has the concept of being driven by the clock or driven by the compass. And I think you're driven by the clock and I'm driven by a compass. What he means by that is, do you want sort of reminders every hour on the hour of what you should be doing? Or do you need, do you want to, I think you need to transcend to a higher level and know that you're doing the right thing and adjust your course accordingly. So what I do is I don't sit there with reminders flashing up all day. I sit there with my magic to-do list on the screen. I have two monitors. I'm generally, if I'm not actually training, then I, I have my to-do list on the second screen. And I constantly refer back to it. So the example I would give is, if you imagine going orienteering and you have your map and you have a compass and you're constantly adjusting that to make sure you're on the right course, that's what I do during the day. I know I've already pre 
thought out what I should be doing today. And unless there's a fundamental change, in which case I will realign accordingly, then I know that what's on my to-do list is what I should be doing. But I'm a grown-up and I don't need it to remind me every hour on the hour. So I will adjust accordingly. If I get behind, I may well move some of these tasks to tomorrow. If I'm in front, I may well bring up my tomorrow view and see if there's anything I can do today. All of that, of course, requires that trusted system. And I know one of your problems is that you don't put everything in a system. You think you're too busy doing the job to put the stuff on a list. And that's a huge problem. Are you going to tell me that's not true? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Well, the problem is, like I've said, as soon as there's one thing not in the system, you then think to yourself, oh, did I put that in the system or is that does that only exist in my head? I think another problem is um, that you put stuff in the system, but then you don't have time to do the weekly review or you think you don't. And the problem with not doing the weekly review is that that's when you start to forget things because you don't reconnect with them. And I think weekly is a good time gap to you know good to good time frame to reconnect with what you're doing so i'm assuming that's another problem the weekly review yes mm. <laughs> i'm sensing it here um there's constraints you have to work to you know you've only got a number of hours the same number of hours in a day and you've now got mail management and the weekly review and i understand that it's just that the system works far better with that weekly review and it's easy to do everything that you think you need to do with it all in your head when things are going well. So you don't have to put everything in a system as long as things are going well. But it's when you get that unexpected change that causes complete chaos that you need that trusted system. Because I'm sure if, if you had 10 items that you've got to get through today and you know two are on a list and eight are in your head, and I've got 10 items I've got to do today and all 10 are in my system and both our courses are cancelled at the same point and we have five minutes to sort our day out ready to do something completely different. You would probably, I could do that in five minutes because all 10 are on my list. So I look at them and I think, OK, credit card bill can be paid tomorrow. Uh, I'll move that phone call down here. I'll move that there. That leaves me two items and I'm going to have to do those at lunchtime. And you would spend that five minutes running around like a headless chicken, panicking about what wasn't on the list in the first place that's in, that was in your head. And now there's a crisis. It's gone completely out of your head. Mm, you know me too well. Mm, that's exactly it. So it's fine when things are going well, but it, you've got to prepare for when chaos strikes. And that's the problem. In terms of context, I do agree with you. I read the book and I thought this is all very well, but that's not how I work. My desk's like mission control, like yours. I could do anything, <laughs> probably without moving more than two inches. I could make phone calls. I could send emails. I could fax something. I could talk to somebody on the other side of the world. I could share my desktop with somebody on the other side of the world. It's mission control. So in that respect, context does become superfluous in a way. I'd say if contexts don't work for you, just do away with them or use them for something else. Now, the one exception to that is geocontexts. Now, I don't know if you've ever used geocontexts. No, but I know what they are. Well, for the benefit of any listeners who might not know what geocontexts are, it's where you can only do something in a geographical area. 
And what OmniFocus for iPad and iPhone can do is you can allocate it um, a geographical context, a, geo a geocontext. So if I need to buy some staples from staples, I can only buy those from staples. And what will happen is I'll go to the retail park and I'll be going to the three other shops there and I'll clean walk past staples and totally forget that I need to go in, just like the milk. And what will happen is my that's the one situation where my phone will go crazy and I will look at it and it will say, you're at Staples, do you want to buy these Staples now? And I find that absolutely brilliant. So geocontacts work fantastically. What I've done with contacts, I had exactly the same problem you did. I mean, my telephone contacts, non-existent, waste of time. So what I did was um, I totally changed what the contacts were for. I now use contacts, but in terms of adding a category to the task. So for instance, I look after my own network and it's quite a complicated network. There's lots of machines on it, up, up to 20 computers and probably with mobile devices, routers, switches, ooh, probably 50, 60 items. And they have to be all backed up. They have to be updated. All that has to happen on a continuing ongoing basis. It isn't good enough to just do it once a month. It's got to be done on an ongoing basis. So what was happening was it was taking me sort of half a day to, to do all that. And it didn't. I mean, what's the context of that where the equipment is? Not brilliant. So what I decided to do was categorise that into maintenance tasks. So that so the, the, the context is maintenance. And if I'm writing something, the context for that is creation. So asset creation or whatever it is. What I then do is look at my at the point I'm creating my plan for the week. I compare how many of those tasks are maintenance versus how many of them are creation. And if they're out of sync with each other, then I move items. And that way I can make sure that I'm moving my business and my personal development forward as opposed to just doing maintenance tasks because it's so easy to, to fall into the busy um, situation where you're too busy to actually look at what you're doing to see if it's what you should be doing. So by using contacts in that way, it really helps me focus to know how am I doing in terms of moving forward as opposed to treading water. And they work really well for that. I don't know if that would help you or not. I don't think I'm ever going to get OmniFocus, you know. I've I've built a kind of OmniFocus-like system with Outlook using custom views. But one of the problems I've got is I've now got this, this software on my iPad called Good, which allows me to hook into the Exchange server at work. But I lose my custom views, so all I get is a list of tasks. I, I know you struggle with OmniFocus, and I understand why. There is an alternative system, uh, it's a little bit cheaper as well, called Things. And that, again, it's available for Mac, it's available for iOS, so iPad, iPhone, and there's a sync service with it. And I think its interface is a little bit more friendly. And I think it's a nice, gentle introduction to GTD. So, so maybe try Things, or even Evernote, which I know you use anyway. Yeah, I'm thinking about using things, actually. Like you say, it's got a nice interface. The mobile versions, they're great. It's it's usable. But I can't see how you use Evernote for GTD. Oh, it's perfectly feasible. How about I record a video to show you and the listeners how to set it up? That's a good plan. 
Well, Evernote's a good idea, actually, because it's portable, works on uh, Android devices too, on the PC, even in a browser. Uh, there's a free version, you can customise it. One of the great benefits is you can keep reference materials with the task information, which is difficult in pretty much every other to-do list thing that you think about. And it's got inbuilt sharing, as we know, because we share Evernote books, don't we? We do. So we shall put um, some action items in the show notes for you. Lots of links to GTD, OmniFocus things, and now Evernote, apparently. So that's a first look at productivity for learning professionals, a topic I'm sure we'll return to in the future, especially with Mike now committed to trying things. But before we go, where can listeners find you in the next few weeks? Me, they can find me running an Excel dashboards webinar on Thursday, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that. I'm looking forward to that one. Good. And what about you? Oh, you can find me delivering uh, Photoshop blend modes. Uh, hot topic. I've had lots of requests to cover blend modes. It's one of those topics that's a bit hidden away in Photoshop and people want to know more about it. So uh, I'm doing that in the evening on the 15th of November. And my next public course is iBooks Author. So it's iBooks Author version 2, brand new version released about a week ago. So that's the 21st of November at 2pm in the afternoon UK time. So uh, you can get details of those on macbyteslearning.co.uk. I'll also put links in the show notes to make it easier. And there's details of all my speaking engagements, webinars and presentations on my blog at elainegiles.co.uk. And we've got two uh, training show webinars coming up as well, haven't we? We have two free webinars, especially for the training show and the training show listeners. Um, the first one is Office 2013, which is on the 22nd of November. And uh, the big thing with this version of Office is the addition of a subscription based pricing model. And that means that for a single annual payment of $99, you can install Office 2013 or Office 2011 for Mac on up to five devices. And as you know, from our licensing constraints, that's a very, very good deal. So um, in addition to seeing the great new features of Word 2013, Excel 2013 and PowerPoint 2013, we'll be covering all the boxed product versions and subscription options available, detailing how to get the best from the alternatives provided. So as I say, that's the 22nd of November at 8pm UK time, closely followed the week after on the 29th of November by SkyDrive. Now SkyDrive is the Microsoft cloud-based storage solution. If you've heard of Dropbox and or tried it, you'll instantly understand SkyDrive. In addition to 7 gig of free cloud-based storage, SkyDrive is also the service that powers the cloud features in Office 2013 and there will be an update out for Office 2011 for Mac to enable it to communicate with SkyDrive. So SkyDrive itself is available on PC, Mac, iOS and Android. It's simple to use but it's very very powerful so it allows you to store, share and collaborate on files with anyone, even in real time. And that one of my key things that I tried was delivering a presentation via SkyDrive just using a browser. And to be honest, it's got to be seen to be believed. It was so incredibly powerful. So join us on the 29th of November, 8pm UK time, and collect your free 7 gig of online storage. Uh, there are full details of both those events on thetrainingshow.com. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The new features in Excel particularly, I think, are fantastic. I must admit, I'm very taken with PowerPoint 2013 as uh, I spend a lot of time in presentation software. So I'm very impressed with uh, Office 2013 in general and PowerPoint in particular. 
But that's it for this show. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contribute to the website by writing an article about something you're passionate about, then do drop us a line. But most of all, do get in touch. We would love to hear what topics you'd like to see us cover and hear your thoughts on all things training. So you can contact us at thetrainingshow at gmail.com. There's a contact form on the website at thetrainingshow.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash thetrainingshow. But for now, see see you next time. time.